Genesis chapter 4. I want to say that one more time. Genesis chapter 4. The reason I repeat it. This morning I was preaching from Romans chapter 13. And at one point in the introduction I said Romans chapter 15. I hear about those things on the way home, you know. So I want to be certain I have it correct, and I don't want to make the same mistake within six hours. Genesis chapter 4. On Sunday nights, several times last year, I preached on something from the daily Bible reading schedule, sometimes before it came up, sometimes after. And my hope was and is that this will encourage that discipline of daily Bible reading, spark some interest, and maybe offer some commentary on what you've already read. So tonight, Genesis chapter 4. One of the beautiful and endearing features about the Bible is its simplicity. It contains a message everybody needs to hear and obey, and it is simple enough for everybody to hear and obey and understand. And the simplicity of the Bible is observed over and over when we read stories, narratives, about real people. Like this one in Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain... And his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. 
If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. In the verses that follow verse 7, there is the account that everybody remembers. The account of Cain murdering his brother Abel. Our concern tonight will not be so much with that, but with things that developed in the conduct of Cain and God's response before the act of homicide. Let's start here. What was the difference between Cain and Abel? Sometimes when we identify differences, we start with similarities. So, same parents, same family, no evidence of any genetic difference that would explain their behavior. One was a keeper of sheep, the other was a tiller of the ground, but occupation doesn't account for their diverse behavior. The difference is seen when you come to verses 4 and 5, and the Lord respected Cain and his offering. I'm sorry. The Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Now, we come to this text knowing something about the Lord, that the Lord is not arbitrary. The Lord is not like prejudiced humans or people who act on impulse or randomly and without cause. Peter stated the truth about God in the house of Cornelius according to Acts 10, 34 and 35. In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. So we know that about God. Therefore, when we read in Genesis 4 that God respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, we know this wasn't random or arbitrary. <clears throat> there was something about Abel and his offering that pleased God. On the other side of that, there was something about Cain and his offering that didn't please God. Now, we also know something coming into this narrative about worship. Worship is all about God and what pleases Him, not the preferences of mankind. Worship is about showing respect and praise and reverence toward God, for God, to God, if in efforts to worship God, there is any disobedience to God in either attitude or action, God is not pleased. We take that with us into the narrative, and we are justified, therefore, in saying, Abel worshipped God obediently, and Cain didn't. So the differing behavior of these men finds explanation not in parents or genetics or occupation, but in the faith and obedience of one and the absence of that in the other. Cain's 
worship was unacceptable. Now, agreeing with that is John over in the New Testament. In 1 John 3 and verse 12, John says, His works were evil and his brothers righteous. Now, <coughs> that, that's all we need to know, really. Abel's worship was sincere and obedient to God. Cain's worship wasn't. Well, the story doesn't end there. Cain showed an immature attitude after his failure to offer acceptable worship. Verse 5 says, Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. It says in the older translations, the later translations say that his face fell. We have a word in English that may be good here. Pouting, jealousy, self-pity, anger. Cain was guilty of this immaturity. The next part of the story, I believe, shows the mercy of God. I say that because Cain was privileged to be corrected directly by God, to hear a warning directly from God. That's mercy God was showing to the man. Verse 6, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? Why is your face all down? And the Lord continued then in verse 7, and that will be the object of our concentration tonight. If you do well, the Lord said to Cain, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now, when you read that, put a time marker right there. This is after Cain's unacceptable worship and immature attitude. It was when Cain was pouting, and before he killed his brother, he is privileged. God's mercy is seen in that he spoke directly to Cain about his attitude. In the Lord's words to Cain in verse 7, I want to focus tonight on three things. Number one, the capacity to do well. And it's framed within that question, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Now, we've already concluded that Cain didn't do well in his worship. We know that because God didn't accept his worship. We drew that conclusion from the circumstances in the nar narrative and the things we know to be true about God and about worship. And then John's statement was added to that, that Cain's works were evil and his brothers righteous. Now, here we are in verse 7. And this is a question for Cain. Questions are designed to get those thinking juices and self-evaluation methods into motion. If you do well, will you not be accepted? In the NIV, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? God is saying to Cain, you know how this works, Cain. 
Why are you so upset? Why are you engaged in this immature attitude? Why are you possessed of self-pity and jealousy? You know how this works, Cain. Do what is right and you will be accepted. Well, works the same way today. If we want God's approval, we need to do what is right that God has revealed we ought to do. And we can inquire of ourselves and others that we may counsel in the form of the same question. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Do we just want God to accept us, approve of us, and reward us regardless of what we do? These questions can punctuate all of that. Can we just offer to God any kind of worship that we may see around in the world that is popular and convenient and expect Him to accept it because it is convenient and entertaining for us? Of course, the answer is no. Can we nurture just any kind of attitude any kind of attitude and expect God to approve or overlook the attitude because we've made the choice to have that feeling or attitude. No. In our collective work as a local church, can we just sit down and brainstorm and do anything we want to do and expect God to be pleased because we have created this agenda and we're going to do this work because we think it is good for us? Or are we going to open scripture and find out what God's directions are to the local church? Of course, the latter is what ought to be. This passage just relates something expressly simple that one needs to know in the very beginning of reading the Bible. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? This should motivate in us and renew in us the very simple commitment. I'm going to do what's right. Cain had the capacity to do right, and we share that with Cain. We are free moral agents, as we sometimes express it. Let us use that capacity to learn the will of God, be committed to it internally, and then do it externally, and everything will be fine. There is assurance here in this historical account that if we do what is right, God accepts us. And if we do not do what is right and God does not accept us, we move then into the New Testament truth that we can upon our repentance and response to God be forgiven by the blood of Christ. It is not like the lottery or guesswork relationship with God. If we do what is right, God accepts us through Christ. This is our assurance as Christians. Number two, <clears throat> in immature attitudes, sin desires us. Sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, the Lord said to Cain. Keeping my attitude properly adjusted with God, 
keeping my attitude mature, righteous, spiritually healthy, improving, is part of a solid defense against sin. If I let a little jealousy creep in, if I allow pride to just begin to enter in, if I get agitated and let that agitation grow unchecked into something else, like Cain, it is like I'm letting sin in the door, into my heart, into my life. I don't want sin at my front door, do you? I don't want to see how close I can get to sin. I don't want to flirt with it. I don't want to nurture any attitudes or feelings or agitation that brings sin to my front door and then inside. I want to put as much distance as I can between me and sin. And I'm going to have to be committed to that the rest of my life. I'll never come to a place where I say, well, I've conquered that. I don't need to be on guard anymore. I want to put as much distance as I can between me and sin. And I want to work at that from now until I die. How about you? One way to do that is nurture good, mature attitudes and keep a good check on your heart. Keep a good check on your heart. And... Daily Bible reading enables you to do that every day. Sin desires us, and we do not want to extend any invitations to sin or the devil to come on to the front door. Because the next step is come on in. Number three, based on Genesis 4, 7. We have responsibility to rule over sin. The Lord said to Cain, rule over it. So often people just surrender to it. They let sin come into their lives, maybe not in the same manner as Cain, but they let sin come into their lives. They recognize it perhaps, then do not engage in urgent repentance, and it just piles up. And then complain that they cannot do anything but just continue in sin. I let it come in. It's covered me up. They've surrendered. They've given up. God said to Cain, rule over it. Now think about all the different ways that you might paraphrase that. Rule over it. Get out of the mire of sin. Admit that you got there and then get out. Stand up against it. Make your apologies clear, expressing yourself to God through Christ. Ask forgiveness and then get well into that commitment to repent and bear the fruit of repentance and make things right with anybody that you've wronged. That's ruling over it. That's what that is. And let me say, even if you think you had some good reason to sin, rule over it. Even if temptation caught you in a weak moment and you argue that, rule over it. Even if others abused you and led you into sin or offended you or neglected you, 
deal with that, rule over it, the Lord said. Even if you're tired and sick and weak, and there were in your judgment mitigating circumstances, deal with that, rule over it. Three simple words in Genesis 4 and verse 7. We all need to take out of the building into life, rule over it. God has, number one, given us the capacity to see our sin and to leave it. Number two, in Christ, he offers forgiveness. So, rule over it. In your daily Bible reading, especially if you've been doing this for several years, Take note of these narratives or these stories. Look at them fresh every year. Here's a mistake that I've made, and perhaps you've made it. You come to Genesis chapter 4 or Genesis 28 that we read when we started the assembly, and you say to yourself, well, I've read that. I know what that's all about. Maybe there's something you missed. I don't know how many times Bill and I have had this conversation about daily Bible reading and repeating daily Bible reading year after year after year and seeing things now that you missed 10 years ago. Take note of these narratives or stories. Read them again in their fullness. They're loaded with instruction about who God is and what kind of people we ought to be. Consider the dynamics of the narratives we've already read that Darrell has read to us from the reading schedule that we're reading day after day. Creation, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah, Abraham and his sons, Joseph, and then later there will be Moses and the Israelite nation and how all of that is framed by the New Testament writers as part of God's overall plan for us. There is a richness about all of that in the Word of God that you'll never exhaust. If you're 105 and you're reading the Bible over again in your 105th year and you're reading it over again after years and years, it's going to enrich you. It's going to reconnect you with some things you need to be connected to. It'll never be exhausted. Keep going back and reading God's Word. And here's where I'm going to take us for the wrap-up. If you're in our Bible class in Hebrews, it will sound familiar. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Let's be standing as we sing. Jesus is all the world to me.